Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stupski, Brad King, Alex Welsh, and Eric Hibbs. On episode 23, the Gearheads sit and discuss building hot rods, passion for cars, and blowing donuts in the middle of Cobo Hall with J.F. Laudier of J.F. Customs. <laughs> he said it was going to be like Letterman. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Well, that all said, the heck with it. Uh, welcome to the Round 6 Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Brad. I'm Alex. I'm Eric. And I'm JF. And that that handles the whole thing. Perfect. Well done, done. sir. We, uh, if if you haven't guessed by now, dear listener, uh, on the podcast this evening, we are blessed to have, and I'm going to go with the American pronunciation, uh, JF Lanier from JF Customs. Welcome aboard, sir. It is a true pleasure to have the Celine Dion of the hot rod world with us. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. I don't know if I'm going to take that as a low blow or just... We love. Okay, well, I wasn't going to go with Justin Bieber. How about we go with wait, 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 the Getty Lee of oh. the Hot Rod World? How about the Wayne Gretzky? Oh, oh there you okay. go. Oh, all right, okay. all right. we go with that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Canadian. That's where you'd be headed for sure. He's universal. So Everybody better. I was going to go with Guy Lafleur or oh, <laughs> oh Mike yeah. Myers. Not you can't say Michael Myers. That that's a whole different no, no. wrong guy. That's a Halloween thing. Um. Anyway, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great. Is it uh, funny to talk about how we're communicating through a little box in the wall and I'm, as a car painter and a guy who runs a welder, super confused about all that? <laughs> you did very well. You, you yeah. sir, uh, knowing what I do of your country, you have adapted very well to dodge the flying hockey pucks rogue polar bears and whatnot and trudging across the tundra to make it to our podcast it's hard <laughs> to find a quiet spot in the igloo so <laughs> i don't know man listening to him i don't think he dodged a whole lot of hockey bugs <laughs> oh and there it goes <laughs> damn we're, we're no longer gonna be the uh the montreal canadians of the podcasting world <laughs> <laughs> We're drifting like into SCTV territory. Yeah. We could just make this an episode based entirely on Canadian references. And we'll just say uh, poutine. Uh, <laughs> Beavers. Yeah. Which are yeah. not related. <laughs> <laughs> one is a French fry covered with cheese. Yeah. Oh, and the other one is too. So... <laughs> Zambonis. So I suppose they are related. Why not? And um, pink money with beavers printed on it. This yeah. is all working out okay. Yeah, so, sir, we've got some stuff going on. So if I just come out and say, hey, I know what we're doing. Have a great night, people. That's not going to be any fun. Right. So what are you working on in the shop right now? I would say the most significant project we're working on is another car that's going to debut in Detroit. Oh. I those that know me know that I've been to Detroit quite a number of times with some pretty spectacular cars in the last few years or last 10 years. 
Um, it became kind of a goal of mine to show up with great cars there. And there's a really romantic side of that where the car can never be seen by the public. It can't be in a magazine. And as of this year, they've really refined the real rules as to how much the car can be seen online. Uh, for me, that's really exciting because we, we just kind of keep the project a secret from the real world, work with some really special people to make the car great. And then when you unveil it, it is a new and it's a fresh piece. And the ideas that you put forward are, are really unique. And hopefully you're not putting the same thing together as the next guy at a different hot rod shop. How weird would that be? If that's what this leads to, you know, like the guy would great have eight, the guy. Yeah. The great eight, eight are all the same monsters. Sixty-nine Camaros. <laughs> sixty-nine Camaro Roadsters on thirty-two rails. There you go. Oh, exposed thirty-two oh, rails. See you that? just gave it away. That's it. Wow. That's it. We're done. I guess we're it's done. over. <laughs> so, it, with, with the rules being changed like that. How do you combat that? I mean, in the old days, I know stuff, you know, you'd always worry about people coming into the shop and shooting pictures and kind of letting things out. And now that today so many shops rely on social media to have their name out there and show what they're working on, how do you combat <laughs> that? Um, there's other shops that have a lot more budget and a lot more ability to control that that have physically built rooms where the car stays and the doors have no windows and so on and so forth. And they do a really good job of it. Um, for some of us smaller shops, it's nearly impossible to get it right. And you have to make sure that every time you have a little picnic or 25 people from a local car club over, you just try to be as clear as possible. I, um, I have to say that I, was the first person to have the question brought to him, I'm going to say four years ago when I, when I showed up with the Riviera, there was a picture that had surfaced that was about a five-year-old picture. And the judges came directly to me and they said, JF, what do you know about this picture? I said, I know I took that picture. <laughs> and they were like, okay. <laughs> so they're like, we there's a competitor of yours that says he found it on the internet and they're trying to disqualify you at this point. Oh jeez. And it's I said cutthroat, huh? Wow. That's ugly. And I and I said I don't know how you guys are going to deal with this, but that car is everything about me. It's every dime I could put together. It's every friend that's ever stepped into my shop has has had to contribute. Every member of my family and extended family has had to contribute. I said, it's, it's a group of us that got here. And don't forget, when, it, when you guys put the caliber of car to this level, we're six years putting this car together. And the picture you have is roughly four and a half years old. And I've had a divorce since then. I've had a frustrated girlfriend since then. I've had sponsors that have been happy, sponsors that have been unhappy. I've had sponsors that have had employees move to different companies. I have had employees come and go. I said, there's a lot of things that happen over the course of building a car of this caliber that can happen. I said, is that car on my website? No. Is that 
Is that picture on my Facebook? No. Is it in any social media that has my name attached to it? No. Can you find it right now? No. I said, so how would that disqualify me? Because my competitor said he found a picture of the car somewhere at some point. I said, sometimes you, you get going with a, with, a, with a sponsor and they're happy to be a part of your project and they promote the fact that they're a part of your big project and they don't know any better. I said, really, this lies in your guys' hands because the world has changed in the last 50 years of this award and you have to decide how you're going to regulate that and at what point you're going to disqualify somebody who's put in the effort, built you a great car to compete and, uh, and is sitting there just waiting for the answers, right? Right. Is that thorough enough? That was That's, very well. That was yeah. very well said. I, I would, as a judge, I would have gone uh, okay. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. There's certain, there are certain things you don't have control over. It's like I couldn't right. tell you what's out there. Right. Nothing you can so, do. Like you have to take your portfolio every time you're looking to get a deal on a set of brakes, or every time you're looking to get a deal on a set of tires, um, a clutch, or you know, like. Paint whatever you're trying to do in these cars. You're trying to promote yourself. You're trying to promote some really great people in the industry, and you have to make contact with somebody. You can't build one of these cars in a black cave and all of a sudden appear with a three or four million dollar car to win that award, right? No, that I mean I agree. And you're at a point where, unless you are somehow wickedly independently wealthy, have tons of free time on your hands. And the, the ability to build that car, you can't do it alone. Right. There's just no way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that it, puts you in a weird spot. You know, how do, how do they, oh, my gosh, I mean, you can only control so much. You don't have a media company and you don't have a team of lawyers hiding in a closet somewhere that you can take out every time, you know, someone snaps a picture of the car and posts it to, like, their Snapchat story or something. Right. Yeah. Man, that 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 adds a whole new level to this thing. Or, or think about today. Everybody's got a camera on their cell phone. I could walk right through somewhere, pull my camera out, and within ten seconds, I could have a picture of something. It, you know, and that's scary. I work in aerospace. We have the same thing. There's things that we work on cannot have a camera in there, and that's the biggest fear of the company. Right. Uh, and I can imagine for you as well. It could be anybody. It could be the guy, you know, stocking your paint cabinet, or the guy that's changing out your shop rags. He just walks by and click, and he just hey, he sends it to his buddy who sends it to. Wherever, for sure, yeah, and that's, yeah. I think the judges and I think the the powers that be are really going to take that seriously and and seriously in the sense that they're not going to disqualify a car based on a mishap or something yeah, is right. uncontrollable. Is what well, my understanding was, um, but it is it is scary and and let's not forget that in, in this day and age where. Every half-built car can get tens and thousands of views and, and, and create a whole hype and then end up as a car that never functioned. Yep. In this day and age, the idea that creating something so special and waiting for that moment to reveal it to the world is still super, super cool. I mean, I, I, I went and we drove around town um, – to find a, a place to have a beer and watch Travis Pastrana do his jumps a couple of weeks ago. Right. And the reason I did that is because I remembered watching television on Sundays and watching live races 
when I was a kid and I thought, this is so special. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow to find out how it went. And I'm, you know, I was expecting Travis Pastrana to, to not screw anything up. It was going to go well no matter what. But I thought, I'm actually going to go and watch something live in public. I'm not going to do it from the comfort <laughs> of my own home. I'm just going to get out there. And if I get excited about it, it's going to be live in public. And I'm going to go watch that. And I think the automotive world doesn't have a lot of that. There's nothing that is so virginly fresh other than Detroit. It, it, it happens at SEMA all the time. But most cars at SEMA, because of because it doesn't have the same claws, you see a bit of that car coming together and you're like, holy shit, at SEMA, that's where I want to be, 3 o'clock when they unveil the thing, and it's going to be awesome, right? It's just like, okay, so it's like, okay, so I've, I was never there because I'm too young, but the talk in town is when the old boys come and they sand these bolts for my cars for Detroit, right? They talk about when the future liner would have come to town. They talk about when the dealership truck came to town and yeah, it had a bunch of lame Malibus on it, but there was an SS Chevelle hiding somewhere in the delivery. <laughs> right. Dude, what I'm, like, I, and I'm like, Oh my God, if I'd have been there, I'd, I'd just, I don't know what I would have done as a car guy, but I would have waited for the truck to show up in our small town, bring in big iron. And, and it would have been just that moment where it's like, Oh, our, our, the scenery's just changed, right? We went from a 65 SS Chevelle to a 66 where the body's completely different. And again in 68 when it was completely different. And again in 70 when it was completely different. And you would wait for that car to show up live right in front of you. And, and, and I think we're taking it for granted sometimes where 3D rendered cars that don't exist that look super cool get a million views and a million likes and it, it hasn't even – it hasn't even been a real car at that point. Um, it takes something to make a car function, and it takes something for a car to exist. And I think Detroit brings that still. I think they just have to find a way to make it fair and make it so that a great car that might have a picture picture slip here or there isn't going to be disqualified. But it, it, it's still very, very special. Oh, I think yeah, that's extremely and, well said. And we're... The weird point of the the whole hobby and industry where we see, you know, unfinished cars, you get a lot of cars that are just in bare metal and mocked up and assembled. They wind up as full feature cars. Like say you open up Rotter's Journal and there might be, you know, a five or six page spread just on this, you know, this really cool 32 coupe that's in bare metal. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have cars on Hot Rod Magazine that were just in the bare metal stage. So it's got to be tempting at this point, especially if you're putting together this total passion project, you want to show it off. And I think it's kind of neat that they're doing this whole thing where they want you to hide it as much as possible. Because, you know, like you said, I mean, I remember hearing stories of the old days when the dealerships would put newspaper over the showroom windows or soap the windows so you couldn't <laughs> see what the new cars were. <laughs> That is so yeah, I, cool. I, I never got to see that. I mean, my, my dad had talked about it, but yeah, it's, I, I never got to see that. But, you know, I remember my dad telling stories about how, I mean, they would line up to, to see the cars come out. And he remembers, you know, 58 and 59 um, specifically uh, um, when the Chevys came to the dealership. And uh, I'm be crazy. Know, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It just blew people away. 
Oh, you go there and you get little promo models, you know, like the Johan right. or the AMT ones. That's super cool. But, but I think sometimes the anticipation is so much bigger than the end result. Not to say that the end result isn't isn't staggering, but if you're anticipating it with known previous knowledge, it's just so fresh and so new and so overwhelming that it just becomes something that you have to participate in, right? Yeah. This will be my fourth venture or first fourth venture to Detroit fifth actually, but fourth with a competitive car. And, um, and we don't know what's going to happen. We know we're building a great car and we know that we're going to try to be very competitive again. But, um, you know, is it the year that a whole bunch more people are coming and, and we don't even make the top eight, you know, or is it the year that, you know, you can fit in with a, with a, with a really, awesome car that was built on a reasonable budget now being a prior winner do you think that puts more pressure on you to top what you've already done or do you think it kind of takes a little bit off of you to go he's already been here before you know he's he's already he's already reached the pinnacle I, that's that's a good question because it, it it really it's a double-edged sword for sure there's a good portion of you that knows how and I, I'm going to use the wrong word, but it, by saying the game works, it's not a game. It's, it's um, to me, it's, it's a showcase of our industry. Um, but I understand what I have to bring to the table as far as quality of car. I understand how we get there. I understand what the display needs to look like. I understand how I have to explain to the judges the amount of effort that was put into the car. There's a lot of things that I'm not going to be nervous about and that I can put together quite quite well. But on the other hand, does it does it further my career to take a car there that isn't going to win? And you say to yourself, ah, am I screwing myself? And, and, and does that take me off the pedestal of, okay, well, here's a former winner and now – the next car he did wasn't good enough to even win. And, you know, Chip Foose is the absolute best at it. He's won more often than anybody. He has I, – I, I'd have to study it, but I, I think he's almost won every time he's been there. Um, you know, but it, is it going to – am I going to be a lesser builder because this year we go, we make grade eight instead of winning? I don't know. Like I, I, and, I, and I frankly, I don't care. I'm building a cool car with a really, really neat customer that has an unbelievable history with the car. So so when you get a guy who's got no pennies to rub together, he's got a 327 old Chevy 2 that he's been blasting on Saturdays, finds this super cute girl in his early 20s and decides to marry her and then get married in this, you know, rusty old Canadian car. <laughs> they, you know, 38 years later, the car has been to three different shops. It was a full-blown dragster when it showed up at my shop. It had a four-foot aluminum wing, four-foot long <laughs> aluminum wing and a parachute and all this stuff. And he wanted me to paint it and finally finish this car because he'd had it, you know, almost 38 years and been married 35 and – it was just time for this car to get a paint job on it so he could take it to the drag strip. And he brought it to a guy who pitched him a couple ideas and the thing kind of got carried away. 
you know, it, it's like, well, there's a journey. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with that? I don't really care at the end of the day whether we win or we do whatever. He's got his expectations. I, I can, you know, I would picture me in your shoes going, you know, previous accomplishments aside, I'm building this car. Yes. And I've got a lot that people are expecting of me, but I'm building this car. So I, I don't know if that's kind of the angle that you're looking at it or. I have to, though. I have to. I think, like, if this podcast took a different direction in the in the start, the story would have, and it, it may go to this, but you guys do realize in tens of years, in decades, I'm the first guy who built his own winning car. Oh yeah, that's yeah. huge. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's it's, it's in in the story there, and that's a whole nother story. And, and we, I think we have enough time to cover that one. But the story is there that there is no cubic dollars here. There is an a, a affliction. There's an, an 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 addiction. There's a there's a drive to build a better car, and it comes from some of my peers in the industry that I respect wholeheartedly. But I couldn't keep up to them with clients, and I thought I had a pretty good idea, and then I had the willingness and the effort to put a car together. So, so that's a whole different deal. I mean, uh, we, we'll get back to that in a little while. But it, it, it's it, it, you're basically I, I want my customers to have an experience. I really I'm not building cars. I'm building relationships with really kind people that that have a story and have something they want to live out and they don't even know what they want to live out. But I'll tell you the phone calls come in as the years progress after they've got a finished car and they're like, I had no idea. I can't go to a gas station without three people bothering me about my car. And I, and I, and I didn't realize I was going to be a celebrity just because I had you build me a car. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's funny when the uh, the owner becomes a celebrity instead of the builder. I'm okay with that, though. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah, I want more of that, actually. Um, uh, it all balances itself. The, the, the people that I want to respect, that the people that I hope to earn respect from are my peers, and they will always know that I had a hand in the car. Um, right. The owner deserves his place because the owner had a story I, I don't build cars i don't build cars for people who want to go to Barrett jackson and sell them to try to make money those relationships never end up being lifelong friendships right. uh, you build cars for people that either had one when they were a certain age or their parents did or always wanted one or you're touching a car that has been in somebody's life for 40 years and, and every time you put a grinder to it and, and the rust sort of blows out in dust, it, it becomes a part of your soul too, right? And, and you get involved in that and it becomes important to you so that they can have something special. Well, there's a big difference in the car you know, hobby industry between people who view cars as solely a, an investment and people who have an emotional connection. No question about it. I really try to be because we're such a small shop and, and it's if, if I told you that I painted a Riddler winner 
a good portion of that car in a dirt floor shop, you would say bullshit. <laughs> and then you go to my shop, everybody that's ever come to my shop, and like, um, we're looking for JF. Yeah, that'd be me. Um, oh, we pictured you to be a little older. Where's yeah. the shop where the Riddler car got built? And you're like, this is it. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. That's Ford way Explorer. awesome. There's a Ford Explorer on the hoist getting a new transmission. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, it, it it's all glory right and in the back corner of that shop there is just a place that was holy for dozens of years just kind of pumping out really cool stuff and, and our our circumstances is terrible we're a five thousand person town super small town uh, I know Troy comes from a small town too, but he's close to Chicago. That helps. We have like if somebody says they can next next day air a part to me, it is three days to get it to me. So next day air gets it within three days. You guys don't get that because you're in, you're in the U.S. But like we're like okay, we're gonna next day air it, and I'm like and and you can't imagine when you're getting to the last throes of a of a huge project and and you've put six years of your life and and remortgage people's houses that you really shouldn't have remortgaged because who knows if you're going to win. It's, it's like going gambling in Vegas with, with a bunch of people's houses, right? And, and you're like, next day air, okay. Okay, well, we need this next day air today. And then we're going to get it in three days, and then we're going to put some paint on it. And while the paint's drying, we're going to smash it onto the car. Then we're going to put it in the trailer. And then we're going to drive through a snowstorm to get to Detroit and then – Hopefully none of that goes wrong and we'll wash the car and do whatever we do in Detroit and it'll be accepted, right? So <laughs> I, think I, I think I went on four tangents there. but I grew up in Buffalo, New York, so yeah. you know, the, the board was 20 minutes away. And right. I used to love it because the Canadian guys would come down to shows and you'd hear the stories about how hard it was to get parts and the struggles these guys would have and how much more expensive it was. But there was never a car that came down from Canada that you didn't look at that didn't raise the bar in some way. It was yeah. nuts. The quality was always supreme. Um, just guys were super passionate about it and sacrificed a lot more. And, and you really, uh, you kind of blew my mind here. You took this so far next level. It, it's awesome to hear your passion for this thing. And, and thank you for sharing that. That, that, that that's where that car is. We could talk about that for the whole hour, that one car. And yet, you know, I was, I was sharing some pictures. I've got a, I got an old Chrysler wagon. I did six, seven years ago. And it was a concept that I had come up with in my head. Um, when the Magnum came out, the beautiful mm -hmm. like, car was beautiful. It came out with the Magnum. It was like, you know, your Chrysler 300 is cool. And it looks like a, you know, a successful 45 to 60 year old guy needs to be driving that thing. And it is the coolest car on the planet. And then they came up with a Magnum. And like, That's, it's not cool. It's sexy. It's just got great lines. It's the same car, but why is it so much sexier? And it's just that roof line is just hammered in the rear. And it's, it's hammered to almost a cartoonish proportion. It's how Brian would draw them. Right. But, but somebody actually let that through 
all those chains of command in Chrysler and actually produced it as a car. And you're like, wow, this is wicked. And, and when I built the, the what if car, the what if Chrysler had done a Magnum back in 56, or 55, when they actually introduced the 300, what would that car have looked like? And I was like, you know, that, and that was our first, first go at Detroit. Right. And that was a 18 month build balls to the wall. Wow. I had no idea that you put that together that fast. That was an amazing car. That was a good looking car. Yeah. And I, and I, and I pitched it to a client. He got me all excited and I was like, yeah, I even found a car in California and it's a DeSoto. And then I found an Imperial nose and I'm, I'm pretty sure by looking at the pictures, because I don't do a lot of studying, I'm bad for that. I need people to realign me a lot of times. I'm moving way faster than I should. Like, I got a, the DeSoto fenders look like the wheel arch of the 300, and I'm going to slap an imperial nose on it. Nobody knows <laughs> it wasn't really a 300. And then I got, and I, you get, you know, you get into these projects, you do have to have some downtime, whether you're sitting on the toilet or trying to get to sleep at night. And I'm flipping through these magazines and like, her books, and I'm like, Oh my God, Chrysler actually did that. That's how they did it. It didn't. It wasn't just from my eyeball. You take the Imperial huge wheel well arch fender out, and you take the Imperial grill and put it on the DeSoto style fender, and you basically got a 300 nose. Now the back of it can be whatever it's right. going to be. And I definitely didn't want a four door wagon. And yep. uh, we shortened that car. I say we. I, I took a sawzall right through that car. Whack the. <laughs> <laughs> shot four inches out of the length of it and the car looked so good as a hard top with a three inch chop and a four inches out of the midsection and it was like that car needs to be built that car still hasn't been built but it is so good looking it's a two-door hard top 55 56 chrysler that super super cool again i'm sideways on the tangent but the 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 wagon itself, you know, it, it started to come to life in, and it never was an actual bare metal car, believe it or not. It was a green roof off a wagon that I super sloped off of, like about halfway through the roof or two thirds of the way back on the roof of the DeSoto, and then I took um, for the rear window. I actually took all the radiuses in the rear window are from the wagon. And so I, I pinched some, I stretched some, and then I made this window surround for the back of the car. It was like, that is so cool. And I had met Brian then, and I, and I sent these pictures to this guy who was drawing, and I'm like, what are you not getting? I already did it in bare metal, and, and the drawings look all weird and askew because the drawings always look better than the car itself. You're able to, you're able to manipulate drawings a lot of times in a way with the wheels and the tires and the stands. Yeah. That's right? right. Always. And so here's my car and I'm like, hey, it looks so cool in my shop. And I, I'm trying to do some promotional stuff to get the SEMA to prove we were in, I want to say we were just starting to spread mud at SEMA in November <clears throat> and debuted the car in whatever, early March in Detroit. <laughs> it wow. like paint that car. I'll tell you what. That car looks like, uh, I mean, it, it's cartoony, but then you look at it and it, it warps your reality around it. It's it's so hard to explain. 
And it happened to me, I, I think I'm really, really good with 50s customs if I'm cheating like that. Um, the metal came together that way with my Kaiser too, my very first sort of breakout car. That car is still one of my, it's it's in my top favorite cars of all time. I love that thing. Because <laughs> nobody should have started with a Kaiser, right? Yeah. Right. Well, that, it, you're, I mean, how many have you ever seen done and you look at him and you go, eh, but that one worked. You just, you got it. Well, it looks like a little, it, it looks like a stretched Henry J at some angles. It is, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, and I think that's what makes it work. Is it, it's not a foreign looking, you know, not foreign as other country, but well, hell, you're in Canada. So, yeah. But <laughs> the concept of it in your mind isn't foreign. It just, it still works because it's familiar shapes just done differently. And it's got so much radical metal work done to it, but all proportionally, it all works and looks like something that Kaiser could have rolled out in the day. I mean, it doesn't right. look like some some car that's put together that's got you know some cartoony proportions to it, and it just doesn't look factory. That one, if you put wide whites on it and, and hubcaps and whatever on it, you could go, that could be a factory car. If I pass away tomorrow and my only claim to fame is that I have two friends that have radical custom Kaisers, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty cool deal. Because <laughs> Keith's is the only other one that's made a big splash, and it's a pretty spectacular car. Yeah, exactly. And that was, I remember meeting Keith when he was, he was just hacking that car together. And I, I met him and I went, man, here's a kid who's really still a mini trucker. And we became good friends. And as that car came together, I, I couldn't believe my I just couldn't believe my eyes. I was like, man, this kid is doing it and he's making this thing happen. And yet I always felt bad because in the back of my mind I was like, Well, I always compared it a little bit to yours. <laughs> so you'd have the well, you two going super, on. You know what's super cool about that? So my car was I built it again in two years with that car. And when we debuted it, it was just like this Detroit thing. It was fresh. It was new. And we went to Grand National. We didn't know what we were doing. Picture a guy who owns a wrecking yard, which is me, at that young age of like 29 years old. I've spent all my money on this Kaiser. And to the point where we're driving down with a borrowed enclosed trailer. We've never used an enclosed trailer before. We're driving down in a written off um, you guys get them crashed sale trucks down there. Oh, yeah, salvage oh, title. Yeah, salvage title trucks. So it's got red fenders, blue cab, black <laughs> box. We're going We're going to California, and me and my buddies are just like, we're going to California. The car, <laughs> and you know where Grand National is. It's always like late January. Mm -hmm. yep. I, paint, I paint that car January 1st. Really good friend of mine. Oh my gosh! Yeah, really good friend of mine, Russ Bruin, had done Jack White's Airflow the year before, and he offered to teach me how to color sand. I was a pretty good painter at the body shop at that point, and I had done some, you know, cut and buffing, but I had never really taken and cut orange peel out of a whole car, buffed it. So he says to me, for the six months prior, when you're ready, we'll just come up and we'll help you cutting off that car well he gets a little lazy in december because it's probably christmas is more important to him than my paint job um and he says to me well why don't you bring it down to our shop and we'll help you at our shop we've got all our tools and all this and like you know if i'm asking big favors like making this thing short ready 
I'll, I'll, I'll buy into that. Right. So we literally, I painted that car the 31st of January. We went into the 1st of January in his paint shop, paint and blue on that car, loaded it in the truck three days later after he taught me how to color sand. The, and it was the body at that point because that car was separate from the chassis. And I rolled home, and on the 3rd of January, late, late on the 3rd of January, I had eight, eight buddies show up. And we dropped the body on the car, commenced wiring, you know, get an engine running, wheels, tires, brakes, brake system, interior, windows, like glass, right? That car literally, in, in I had a, I built an A-frame house for myself in my 20s. And in the basement of that, I built a shop. I built a little shop in the basement of my house. So it was in the basement of my house, and we'd cut two by fours to length to because um, the Kaiser trimmer on the window on that car is the window is like the bead lock in the rubber. So I mm-hmm. kind of kind of loosely fitted the glass to the body, and I'm a pretty good body man, so it was loosely as like the window fits and the body lines are extended or the body metal is extended so that it's a flush fit glass. And then we've got the stainless that goes around it. So it's got that little lip that goes in the rubbers and we have got overnight stapled and screwed to the rafters of the house, the roof rafters (laughs) pushing down on this stainless while it's sitting there in urethane to make it, bed itself into that gap <laughs> that you have between the beautiful color and this glass that you can't find anywhere, right? I found the last NOS windshield for that car. And oh my gosh. to make it work with the chop, because I didn't have the skills to cut glass, I just dropped it down under the hood. Like I just, you know how you just, new cars yeah. have the drop? Mm-hmm. I just let, I let four inches of that slip down under the hood. <laughs> That's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. And then and then I don't know where I was going with that. I think we're talking about Keith still. So I get to California, this place that I've never been. It is Disneyland and it's like close to Disneyland. I'm like, oh, we're in California. <laughs> and put us in the room. We don't we don't even know that the big room's important, right? Yeah. And all we know is these guys keep coming up and, and you meet you meet people that you see on TV and you meet people you've read about in magazines and you read people that have inspired you and they're kind. They're not, they're not unattainable. They're just normal people like you are. And, and within that, sorry, I'm going to go back to Keith within that Keith and I, like I walk outside and I'm like, what the fuck? There's another two door Kaiser here. <laughs> How did that happen? It's a whole world of things. He debuted his car the same day that I did. <laughs> right but there he is in a super super cool car done in a different fashion and i've always sort of just enjoyed that weekend in my head it's always been just i i think i've tried to duplicate that and no matter how hard i work in life it'll never be fresh and new like that again do you still have that kaiser i do i'm a cool. weird i'm a weird anomaly and the kaiser's got i've spit I've literally spit the pinion out of that car trying to do burnouts. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Literally, I was like, oh, that didn't sound good at all. <laughs> I have 
<laughs> but it still might have a little more left in it. So well, I, I can't swear too, too much. You got me going here. But, um, uh, that car. No, it's okay. Was, You're speaking Canadian. We'll be fine with I that. Know, my, oh. my French Canadian people use the F bomb like it's like it's salad dressing. It's just <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> it really means nothing to us. Because total tangent again, but. If you're French Canadian, you are Catholic Christian. And when you make a swear word, you are speaking against your God, the church, all this kind of stuff. My mother, my mother picked me up at school one day because I had gotten in trouble for swearing. And she looks at the teacher. She goes, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking at her thinking, how do you fix that? You can't fix that. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean anything to us. Having sex, French people like to have sex a lot, so you're not going to insult us by saying that, right? (laughs) Let's get off that tangent. (laughs) What are you going to do? You're going to reproduce. Too cold to go outside. It is. So, yeah, back to the Kaiser. I love, love, love that car. I love how I was trying to make it, I was trying to make it a Merc. I was trying to make it traditional. I love the fact that it would accept a set of white walls and not be glaringly new. Mm-hmm. It has a set of those Jeep Liberty headlights in it because they're round and they're cute. And I embedded them into the car without making it too ugly. You know, they fit. yeah, they fit. They're round. They're beautiful. You know, and I love those headlights because that that came right after that whole trend of everybody using the the uh, the Mercedes headlamps. And the mini and the mini headlights were before yeah. that. Can't remember. Oh god, yeah, the minis were in, and then when the the Liberty headlight got discovered, there was a couple of good cars out there. Wow, we did a car with Timmy Strange. We did the Resilience Buick, and that had those in there. Yeah, and just a different kind of headlight, but in that Kaiser, man. They, they look like they grew there. Such a well, great choice. Same with Tim's Buick, though. They look like they 100% belong in that car, and they don't make you think that's a new headlight in an old car. You just kind of walk past them, and you accept the fact that it looks good and looks round and oval, whatever you're thinking, right? Exactly. I wonder, in fact, the only car they don't look good on is the, the Liberty. <laughs> Sorry. The group is really vertical and the headlight slopes back. How did that happen? Right. <laughs> I wonder if 911 headlights would suit any any old cars. Well, I want to go back to the, the 911 headlight idea. Are you talking new ones? No, no. Definitely I'd be a 60s 911 guy trying to put them in that car 10 years older kind of thing. Second gen Camaro. And fix the second gen Camaro. Yes, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not against that actually. I, I, I think that the trick would be making the wild tail spoiler work. <laughs> <laughs> but the target is natural. Well, of course, <laughs> it is a natural. You just got to take that pesky thing in the, out of the middle and glue those two t tops together. <laughs> that pesky. Thing. Can you imagine. How much rain would fall in that car if you built it like that? <laughs> It'd be a boat. Oh, yeah. Or the opposite of boat. Why don't we just turn it into a fish tank? <laughs> <laughs> There's a precedent for it. Didn't they build one of those on uh, Pimp My Ride? 
Probably. No idea. We don't want to speak speak ill of that kind of people, do we? No, let's. But uh, touching on something, though, you had mentioned how you know you spit the pinning out of the car. You, oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm an animal you, with these cars. I'm you a... are, and this this is why this is why I love you, man. And I, I say that just in a beyond platonic way, whatever. Um, <laughs> you take your stuff and you use the hell out of it, and that to me is the greatest thing in the world because you don't just build something that's a piece of sculpture that's going to sit on a lawn somewhere you pardon my french here you beat the shit out of your stuff all yeah. my stuff gets the shit beat out of it and it gets hurt here's here's some stories i'll give you some hurt stories your top three maybe yes. <laughs> so detroit we go there we we've got i've got a common friend um steve mank you've met him a few times i'm sure right. So Steve says to me, I'm doing overhauling with Chip, and he says to me, JF, are you building a wagon? Are you building a wagon for Detroit this year? And this is SEMA, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, um, what are you doing to it? I said, I, I just did this and this, showed him some pictures. He says, I'll tell you a little secret. Usually at SEMA, because these cars take a long time to build, um, the judges already know who the big hitters are. Okay. I'm just listening, right? I, I have no experience in this. I've got a cool Kaiser, but I, don't, I have no experience other than that going to Detroit. That's a big show. Um, and he says, well, they know of your Kaiser, and they're expecting you to build a car that could win this year. <laughs> and I just laughed. I said, Steve, you're crazy. <laughs> and he says, no, I'm not fucking kidding. I said, he says, it's not one of those years where the, the guys that, that have already been known to the industry are bringing a car. So it's going to be a year where a fresh guy that's never won before is going to win. I said, so what am I supposed to do with this information? I'm sitting there working like day and night on overhaul and getting three hours a day of sleep and trying to visit Vegas at the same time. So it's basically zero hours of sleep. And he says, I would go home and I would mortgage your house, I would mortgage your parents' house, mortgage your uncle's house. And I would put everything you can into winning that award. So so what do I do November 3rd? Oh. Mortgage my house. Mortgage my parents' house. Mortgage no. my house. Something like a little peer pressure. And it's like, okay, we're going to build this car. Have any of you guys ever seen the interior headliner in that car? It looks like a surfboard. <laughs> he took strips of wood, and and I know this. There's 387 fasteners holding the headliner in that car. I double skinned the roof in that car. So as cool as it looks like on the outside, like super cool, it's wagon, right? So I wanted some wood in it. I countersunk a whole section, dropped it by three-eighths of an inch, so that we'd have three-eighths of an inch hardwood, maple, by the way, laminated in there with gaps. I think they were, I want to say, not quite quarter-inch, maybe three-sixteenths gaps between each strip of wood. So you would see the body color between the wood. Each strip was wood. Gosh. And then every one of those fasteners was clocked so that the the Phillips screw would be the same direction as the wood. 
Wow. <laughs> and then you repeated, and that, that theme is repeated behind the seats going toward exactly. the tailgate. So exactly what it looks awesome. like behind the seats is it what it looks like in the headliner of that car. It was stunning. And you had to have the right length screws so that they wouldn't pop out and affect the paint job on the outer skin, right? So it took it took two wagons to use the skins, and I'm sure like like really really good craftsmen would build those panels from scratch, but that wasn't me. I was just a guy with an idea, and and so I took wrecking yard parts and built that thing. Right, that car. I was in such a the Kaiser's a super cool car, and I was in such a hurry to get to Detroit after Steve's conversation with me that that I kind of the Kaiser sort of fell aside, right? And then the, the wagon, again, self-funded, um, ended up having to go to Barrett-Jackson because I was either going to have to foreclose on somebody's house, one of the three houses that was up on that car, or it had to go to Barrett-Jackson and get sold. And, and they had done a really good job of promoting that car, being a half-million-dollar car, and unfortunately it didn't work out that way. So that's this brings up a lot of interesting questions here. <laughs> i want to sit here and i really want to talk about just double skinning the uh the headliner because man that that's a sign of just sheer either insanity or absolute you know commitment to an idea but let, let's go look. down on the rotisserie to do the headliner for no less than five weeks when we were down and out to the last oh minute of building the car we had to we had to bodywork the surround. We had to paint it. We had to color sand it. Then we had to take all the strips that we had fitted, clear them, color sand them, clear them, color sand them five times till they were so perfect that you actually get a sunburn looking up at that. And we took every fastener and clocked them so that they were perfect ninety degrees. So who was the poor sap that had to do all three hundred and ninety seven? <laughs> You're talking to that. Really. <laughs> JF is raising his abnormally oh, ripped and huge-looking right forearm. That never took a picture in bare metal of that car because he was in such a hurry to glue it together and welded it together. You're talking to the same retard that hauled it home from California. I don't have a truck driver. I don't have a painter. I don't. I now have an amazing. Um, um, fabricator, but I'm still the guy running. Like you guys, I, I was like, oh, this Skype thing. Are you going to see my face? Because if you're going to see my face, I need to have a shower. I have got clear coats <laughs> in my hair right now that makes it look sideways like Bart Simpson. Because I'm <laughs> still running the paint gun on a 2007 Hyundai, by the way, but we won't talk about that. Yes. Well, well we can't talk about that because of the whole Riddler thing. So we're gonna. I, oh, you just gave it up. That's the car. Out of those no, two, he said thirty-five they years. Equation. They fit in the same equation. If you're from a place where you don't quite have the clientele to take you to places you're gonna go, you just gotta do it yourself. If you've gotta, if you got somewhere you wanna be in life, just just push. Just just look at the end goal and. And believe it or not, the details oftentimes work themselves out. If you're committed, there's, you'll create an energy that everybody wants to be a part of it. Exactly. You're going to do the things that pay the bills. I mean, 
I grew up around shops where you might have a really bitchin' chopped 34 coupe sitting on one side, and right next to it is a late model, you know, Ford Country Squire station wagon that, you know, some housewife piled the front end up on. Yep. You know, the insurance stuff pays the bills to afford you to be able to do the fun stuff. Right. And, right. and I Which mean, I my... Hell, my board, a lot of people think that, oh, if I walk into your office, it's going to be loaded with all these Riddler contenders and cool drawings for, like, fasteners and one-off valve covers. Not so much. There there might be a cool drawing someplace, but 9 out of 10 of the things on my plate are going to be packaging designs or die lines for something that's just super boring. You know, it's, it's a matter of finding your passion. And like you said, you get somebody behind you and somebody else fuels that. And it just becomes this never-ending, like, exchange of energy. You're into it, they're into it, and you're feeding off of them, and they're feeding off of you. And then you're mortgaging your house and putting wood strips in the headliner <laughs> of a wagon. I'm going to speak to that because it's one of the most humbling, one of the most emotionally um, and powerful things that's ever happened to me. When we went to Detroit with the winning car, 24 people followed me there. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And, That's cool. And um, we started a thing. We started a thing. I think it was on the wagon where people would show up from, from SEMA to the wagon appearing. There was a little group that started, and they would come on Monday night, and we would call it Car Club Night. And I like to think that Anybody who's got an interest in what I'm doing can be a part of it. Um, so the guys would show up, and mostly, most of them are retired guys, and a few of them were car club guys my age, and I would buy pizza. So if you showed up at 5, pizza used to come about 7, 7.30, and I would buy a boatload of beer. It was in the fridge all night. It, it kind of gave these guys a place to belong to something. None of them were going to win the Olympics. But what they were doing is they were lacing the shoes for the Olympic athlete, if you will. And they would show up and they would polish bolts and they would and they would grind things that I'd welded throughout the day to make them smooth before we applied filler. They would take when we did the the cardiac, and we haven't spoken about cardiac, but it's a wicked car, they would take the factory GT500 hood and the louvers. And if a guy could get a louver, a fiberglass louver, the inside of it where it's all fiberglassy and shitty looking to the point where it could take one louver, where it could take primer the next day, then we'd won. So it became this thing that was bigger than me. It was, it was, I'm not building the car. We are building this car. So we would do Monday nights and then, and then go and go and go. And then when the, you know, when we were two weeks away, there'd be some, there'd be a group of people that would show up every night on the, on the, on the wagon. When it came to the Riviera, we had done it for the, for the, the Mustang, the GT 500 for Detroit. And so people were like, Hey, and, and it is, it's Canada. So it's winter. Are we going to get into Monday night working on the, the Detroit car again? I'm like, I find you should ask. I'd love some help. <laughs> yeah. It was two years before the car actually existed. 
that we started this club. So we did Monday nights for a full year, right through the summer on the Riviera. Then it became, when we got to this this time of year, which we're leading into the fall, it became Monday and Wednesday nights. And, and, and it was something that was bigger than me because people would show up from towns that were two two hours away and they would show up in a minivan and it would be six guys. Hey, I hear we could use some more help. Well, you're right, we could. <laughs> here's a valve stem and here's how we're going to make this valve stem better than the other valve stems on the other cars and we're going to reinvent this valve stem tonight and your job is going to be reinvent a valve stem and, and it would just go from one detail of the car to the next to the next to the next where I would waste three evenings with a guy realizing that his skill set trying to figure out his skill set and I would line him up, and by the time he showed up two weeks later on his third or fourth night, he would have a skill set that was so good in that car that I made other people that show up and made him feel special by making that guy the guy to go to. You know what? If you're going to go to, that guy's finally got to figure it out. He's polishing those bolts to a point where it's perfect. We would, we would hand set and hand cut every fastener on the car, then that guy would drop them into a bucket. Then the next guy would grab those and and, and and run them through the coarse polish on the polishing wheel. Then the next guy would do the fine polish on the polishing wheel. The next guy would take on those Allen bolts. He would pick all the, the goo that came into the Allen bolt part, clean it really good, and he would be scrutinized for that. So if you showed up one night and you did a bucket of bolts and there was too much goo left, then you would have to goo get the goo out of that bolt next night. But then he could teach the next guy to do that. And we created this group. And in, in, in the last three months of that car, it was every single night. My wife knew that she would, sometimes she would bake and make sure that everybody had muffins or whatever, but it would, it went to, to, to midnight. And what I, our biggest night was 24 guys showed up at one night. Oh, wow. That's and, awesome. What do you do with that, though? Like, where do you find enough space in a small shop to make sure everybody's just – watch the math, though. The math is incredible. So if you have 24 guys and they're there for five hours, kibitzing with their buddies, having a beer, talking, telling car stories, having the best time ever, they are there to have an automotive experience. They're not there specifically to work hard. But if they're there for five hours and you get two productive hours, right? <laughs> Two productive hours out of 23 guys, it's 46 hours. Right. You you did over a week's worth of work in one evening. And had fun doing it. Super, yeah. super fun. And when I cried and they cried, and, 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 and that's, what, that's what Detroit still doesn't know. That story is still not obvious because that car – that car is the only Riddler car that never made Street Rodder as a feature. It's the only Riddler car that's never been in Hot Rod. It's the only Riddler car that hasn't been in a bunch of big national magazines for the reasons I don't know. And I, and I don't want to make this a negative podcast, but what we did was so special and it was so fucking awesome for all of us that we didn't care about the rest of the world. We did it. It was us. And it wasn't, it was done in a way that was so different. And we just, those guys, we have a car ready. We are going to Detroit in March and they are asking me, there's 
dozens of them that are asking me, when are we starting Monday Night Car Club again? They're going to participate in a car that's not even doesn't even belong to me because the experience is so fun. Because what's a better place to go and hang out than somewhere where it's going to be successful, and there is a good history behind it, and everybody feels welcome, and everybody has a a small task to do and a small participation in it. What is better than that? And what Riddler car has had that push behind it in the last twenty five years? I don't think there has been. No, I don't think so. Well, during that process, were there points where you went, uh, guys, we're going the wrong direction? <laughs> um, you know, or, or, or was it, were you really careful about orchestrating every piece? Yeah, my job, my job, my job from six in the morning till noon was driving my staff and doing, because I was doing most of the fabrication, most of the painting. So in between painting, because I got my paint suit on, I wouldn't fabricate, but I'd drive that. And I would drive my staff to understand that they had to get to a certain point in their finish work, and then I would take it from there in the evenings. So it was almost running It was running a split shift, right? Mm-hmm. But because you spend enough time and you're hands-on enough, like I, I don't have my own TV show, I don't have a lot of other stuff in the way of that, because I was able to just sort of put that together, everybody got really good at where to leave off on stuff. When we're talking, you take a toothbrush-sized piece of anything, wood, plastic, whatever, and you wrap the end of it in, in sandpaper, and you're trying to do the inside of a scoop, completely unnecessary brake duct, for a 64 Riviera that's never really going to race hard enough to need the brakes cooled, and you are doing the inside of a fiberglass brake duct to the point where it looks 100% perfect and doing body work in there, applying it with a spatula that's got a little extension on it, and then sanding it with a, with a little extension. Like, you've really gone out of your mind. You've gone to the point where you're absolutely crazy. You're you're scared of the judge with their little pen light, right? And and, yeah. and and you have to be to do it right. But then you're like, who is the retard that decided to cool the brakes on this thing, right? <laughs> like, did I just add 120 hours to this project by building two brake ducts? Uh, yeah, I think I did. <laughs> and that's great because there's mounts for them, and they're there. So whew, what do you do about that? <laughs> Man, it, to, to me that's that's what drives me and if i have one thing that's never been said enough about that project it's that we all earned it, it i'm gonna go I'm, I, and i hate to keep speaking over you guys i don't mean to do that but i'll tell you one more story that you will enjoy as car guys because it is the most significant story of the whole thing i think maybe because it was at the end is why it's so significant so the night we're about to leave there's pizza, there's cake, there's like, there's all sorts of stuff, and there is 12 of us on the car. As many people as you can put on the car or on the car, and then there's another 30 people touching pieces of the car. And we are there, and a, and a really good customer of mine had told me, we'd gone to Detroit the year before, I, I'd kind of set him up for it actually. I'd built him some really nice cars, so we'd gone to Detroit, and I said, and he says, uh, I said, so the, the the last sponsor I need is a 
is a gas sponsor because I won't be able to afford to pay gas to get the car to Detroit after, you know, buying all these parts and doing everything I'm going to do. And he looks at me and he says, gas? I don't even think you need a truck. I'll haul the car there for you. And, and I was <laughs> like, that's super awesome. So I get home the day after Detroit 2013 and I sell my diesel truck and I buy two Curtis Speed billet marker lights from my buddy Mike. And uh, and that was the whole value of my diesel truck. Two little marker lights. <laughs> <laughs> Is that wow. <laughs> Now I'm driving a Ford Tempo to get to work. <laughs> oh, my God. So, sorry. So anyway, so I'm actually going to get a significant story. The car fires up. The tuner's there. We're short of grill because Mike Curtis still has the grill in California. But we're about to load in a snowstorm. And uh, the brake pedal feels good. The clutch actually functions. These are really important things that don't normally work on show cars, right? The engine runs so crisp and clean. It's unbelievable. So I'm revving it up because my dream was, after being to Detroit so many times, I wanted to offload the car and drive it to the display because I'd never seen that done. So like, this thing's got to run wicked. So the thing's running wicked. It's, it drops off off the hoist onto some two-by-six ramps that we built, and I'm revving the motor, and people are cheering, and people even brought their wives out for this evening, and it's just wicked. It's just like this, it's this send-off to the Olympics for us, right? I'm on the brake. <laughs> I click click the shifter into first gear, and the car lurches forward at idle. And I pull the thing back into neutral, and as it drops off the first two-by-six, it rolls forward, and I press harder on the brake, and it doesn't do any different. And I know it's going to roll next two-by-six, and my really, really, really good friend in the world that had offered to drive the car is outside having a cigarette, and the car drives and blows the garage doors off its hinges and knocks him out because it has low brakes. That that moment right there is six and a half days before Detroit opening, and we are three and a half days, no, we're four days away from Detroit. So do the math on that. So we went from this part of the atmosphere, there was a somberness in the, in the air because we all knew, like we'd been we'd been doing the math and we knew who was coming and we knew who wasn't coming to Detroit and it was our year and I blew the doors off right off their hinges, wiped out the nose of the car. I turn, I get out of the car, everybody's in tears. There's guys that are 65 years old that are in tears. Everybody's in tears. Nobody knows what to do. And I just said, it's going to take three days to get there. We're loading the car. I'll repaint the nose of the car when we get there. And I'll figure it out along the way. So everybody pushed the car into the trailer instead of driving it in because we, we knew we had no brakes at that point. And uh, loaded the car in, 
in an absolute blizzard of a snowstorm, we started from our side of the country, way, way out west, started trying to make it to Detroit with a totally broken car that had a grill still sitting in California. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. You want to talk about earning it the hard way. <laughs> there should be, there kind of needs an asterisk after it, you know, in, in the Riddler book, you know. It pisses me off that, that the big publications never took a little bite out of that car. Cause it, yeah, what what gives? Wow. Like, yeah. you, guys, you guys tell me, I... I I honestly take some insult to it, but it's been enough years that I don't anymore. I honestly think as much as the Kaiser was correct, like you guys had said, as much as the the Chrysler was correct, as much as you guys have said, I think that car was just a little bit too far out of the box. I think it was just the hot rod industry wasn't willing to accept a Riddler winner being that far out of the box. Uh, you see it at SEMA all the time, and that car was super, super well-received at SEMA, but it just wasn't our typical hot rod car. And I think because I was building a supercar out of a 65 Riviera, it was just too foreign. Well, I always wonder, too, that's a magazine that pushed so hard with that Dare to be Different movement. And, you know... I think they were happy with there to be different meaning uh, Henry J that was tubbed at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't think they were ready to go that far out of the box with you. Cause like you said, it, you took supercar styling and pro touring styling and threw all of that at a car that is so traditionally a custom or a street cruiser. And uh, I don't think anybody's ready for that car. I really don't, and and then to watch you, you know, of course, go and do burnouts and donuts with <laughs> it's beautiful, <laughs> and tearing it up on the autocross, yeah. Pete, I'm a street car with a bunch of stickers. You got pulled over in that car too, didn't you? Did yeah, I, I showed up from a car show one day, and I'm knocking the car out of the trailer in front of my house. I looked at my kid, I'm like, "You want to go get some ice cream?" And the car's running, so I got to yell it. He's like, "Yeah, I'm going to get some ice cream." Get to the passenger seat of the car. We go to Dairy Queen, get some ice cream on our way back. I'm like, ah, the fucking cops are behind me again. Uh, <laughs> 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 what did they pull you over for? I got pulled over on zero license plates on the car. <laughs> it was insured, but what I do when I travel south, I have a really cool hand-built steel plate that says revision on it, and I, and I put that into place. And as soon as he pulled me over, I was like, oh, man, I know exactly where we're going. So legitimately, the car's insured and it has plates. They just happen to be under the passenger seat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty good about it. He gave me a ticket. And the ticket he, read. I, I had to go to the local police station, you know, and display my license plates. And he actually gave you a ticket. He wouldn't let you just show him the plates and say, I'm going home. Oh, no, definitely. He wanted his buddies to see it. Definitely ticket. And, and <laughs> And it's a small town again. So by the time I got to the police station, they were just like, oh, what are you here for? Oh, wow. I didn't have my plates on my car because I went to a car show in the States. And I really like to display this cool little plate and went for ice cream with my kid. They were super good, though. (laughs) You sure half of those guys weren't at your house the night before working on the car? No, I never (laughs) got a cop to work on my car. (laughs) 
Actually, I worked on a couple of cops' cars, but that's a whole different story. So. <laughs> well, you'd think your mom would have known his mom, and you could have called the cops' mom and taken care of it, man. <laughs> you guys want to hear how that story about me crashing through the thing finishes? Yes. Sure, yes. All right, I'll tell you that. So, um, so we're in the truck, and I literally wake up about 13 hours later in the truck because we've been pushing that hard. So I wake up. We've gone through... I think we've gone to Washington, Idaho, Montana. I wake up somewhere in North Dakota, I think. And I start making some phone calls to my paint rep because he's kind of, he and I kind of orchestrated a, a color for the car, mostly he. Um, and and uh, he says, I'm like, who in Detroit uses this, this paint? And, and like, I just need, I need a hot rod shop. I don't need a, a production collision shop. That's not going to work. They're not going to understand that I'm going to work 24 seven on this car to repaint the nose. And so he says, you know, Troy, Troy's using our paint. And I'm like, what? Really? He says, yeah. So I'll work on that. So within the hour, he's got a phone number and I Troy and I phone up this cool place. Rad rides by Troy. And I don't realize that I'm calling cause I'm calling at eight in the morning they're a few hours ahead and it's like five thirty, six in the morning by the time I'm calling and a guy answers, it's the janitor. And he says, um, yeah, nobody's here yet, but the guy you want to talk to is moose and he'll, uh, he'll see if we've got a spot to help you out. Just, I, I basically said, I just need a, and you just need a corner in the shop. I'll sort the car out myself. I've got a bit of assembly and I've got six, seven guys with me that are going to help me do the final assembly, the cleaning and da, 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 da. So tell Moose that he says, okay, well I'll check with Troy and I'll call you back. So he calls me back. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Troy says, no problem. You just come down here. We'll take care of you. All right. So I get there and we unload the car. And they are really not as stressed out as I am about it. So obviously, <laughs> they have been so good about time crunch stuff that they are just cool as a cucumber. I got to repaint the nose of my car. I don't have a grill in it. I got all sorts of problems. I have a backup grill. So I have a stock 60, 64 grill that I've actually painted, made work, just in case the grill doesn't make it, right? So next day air in your country works super awesome so the next day air grill shows up the next morning and unfortunately it doesn't fit the car at all fortunately like not at all like we had to mill half an inch off the bottom side of it oh my gosh fortunately we're at this super cool place called rad rides by troy like what a shop should look like it's <laughs> disneyland cool. of shops yeah it has super cool tools that you can like grip stuff into some vice that moves back and forth under this wicked milling machine head. <laughs> Half an inch is nothing, right? So while we're creating chips out of aluminum, um, Troy's, Troy's body shop guys are like, yeah, no problem. I think we can blend this. Like, you're going to blend this? How do you blend that? Literally knock the nose off the car, right? Um, so we're body shop by night doing the paintwork, Troy's regular shop by day, doing the finalizing work. And w when it's all said and done, 
I have never, ever met such kind people, such endearing people. I, they, they, they gave me a whole new perspective of how I should treat people in the car industry and, and their aspirations towards it. They helped us package the little, the little car back in the trailer, tapped us on the bum and wished us luck. We'll see you in a couple of days in Detroit, right? <laughs> like, wow, wow, wow. They are unbelievable. I, I, I use the word ambassadors to the hot rod industry. Every one of those guys. Are That's just... the word. That's the word. Like, they are ambassadors. They're with, every time you're with them, you want to be more like them. This is like exactly. hero stuff. I I love this. This this makes me smile. Like wow. <laughs> I mean, this is great. This is that was a great story right there. It's the it's the biggest underdog story Detroit <laughs> has seen in the last thirty five years. I guarantee it. <laughs> There's more to the story, but we just don't have five hours to tell it. I will make five hours. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Some wingnut kid that chops the roof off a perfectly good 64 Riviera and then decides the 71 Riviera roof would be a good idea? Of course. Yeah, yeah why not? Why wouldn't it? And look at how that yeah. worked out, though. I, yeah, sure, you didn't get the, uh, you know, you didn't get the weird two-page spread in, in Hot Rod buried between, you know, two ads. But yeah, <laughs> honestly, that really wasn't that big a deal. It just it was interesting. That's all. Yeah, but what you did get, you've got a car that I think when people know the whole story behind it, they'll appreciate it even more so, if that's even possible. I mean, you you've proven that okay, you took you took a challenge to build a Riddler winner, and yes. you did that, and you did it in the so prototypically hot rod way that you had friends and family and, and a bunch of people who became friends and family working on that car. This thing, man, I, I've got to say, if they judge a, a list of cars at some point, just being totally in the spirit of hot rodding, if that car is not at the top of the list, I'm going to punch somebody right in the throat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's true. You know, the, the saying, the spirit of hot rodding, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these shops, you know, they do great work, but it's just a bit sterile. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a business. You know, this was a passion. Exactly. Exactly 13 or 14 days after winning Detroit, I get a chance to get paid five grand to show up at our local show. Wow. And it's like, because he, he's like, I want that car. I'm like, that car's worth money. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and he's like, how much money is it worth? I don't know, like five grand. Okay, sold. Bring the car. And I'm like, holy shit, I just should have said ten. <laughs> how much did you leave on the table? I'm going to drive three hours. I drove all the way to Detroit for ten. <laughs> we get to that. We get to that show in our local guy, our local Canadian Hot Rod magazine guy, which I love. Love him as a buddy. Just like family, basically. He's like JF. Okay, so can you stay Sunday night and we'll do a, you know we'll do the the, the the pictures for the magazine? I'm like absolutely, let's do that. And I'm like, I really want to do donuts in this car. He's like JF, you can't fucking do donuts in the regular car. 
no, Terry, I really want to do donuts. <laughs> I said, it's a twin turbo LS that makes, I don't know how much horsepower at that point, but it's got to do donuts. He's like, I don't think you should. I really want to. <laughs> so we have this whole debate and then some Canadian beer ensues. And my wife's there and she's like, really, you shouldn't do this. I'm like, what, <laughs> what does it matter now? We already won in Detroit. What's the worst I could do? You could really hurt the car. I'm sure I could really hurt the car. <laughs> we do drive-bys. So we do like a couple. He's in the back of a pickup trying to get his his cover shot for the magazine. We do a couple drive-bys. That's going really well. There's still enough sunlight out for whatever reason. And I'm like, I want to try. I've never spun the tires on it. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, this is a good point in this story to, to tell you the story about the new rule in Detroit. After I did donuts in the wagon with Chip Foose in the passenger seat in Cobo Hall, a new, <laughs> <laughs> a new rule was made for the Detroit Autorama. You are no longer allowed to do donuts or burnouts in the hall. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like... I got to do this. So I, I, I just sort of burp, 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 blow on the throttle a bit and I let out the clutch kind of hard, hoping that the tires will go up in smoke and they don't. They're so grippy that they kind of chatter real hard. I'm like, well, that's not fucking good. I can't do donuts. It's going to chatter that hard. So I do two, two attempts and I know I've been there with my Kaiser because of bad chassis setup. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know what to do at this point. Some people are drinking water bottles. I'm like, just put some water in front of the tires. I'm doing this regardless. Because once they're hazed off, they just do donuts and it won't matter, right? <laughs> so we pour a bunch of water in front. This is a Riddler car, right? So keep that in perspective when I'm telling this story. We're pouring a bunch of water in front of the tires and the driver's sitting there with a big smile on his face. The motor's never run for more than two and a half minutes. We don't know what's going to blow off as far as oil lines, you know, radiator lines, we, transmission. Who knows what's going to go wrong with this program? And I'm like, just pour some water in front of the tires. <laughs> I, just, I go into the water, <laughs> cut the wheel to one side, <laughs> lace into the thing. And we haven't at this point ever, ever, ever had the car up in RPMs and listened to the twin turbos blow boost through the exhaust, in and out of the exhaust. So it's risky business because there's no rev limiter on the car. We don't know if it's set up as far as boost control properly because it could easily overboost and just blow the pistons out the bottom of the thing. So I'm just sort of nursing the throttle. And the video is online somewhere where you can hear the car just sort of splattering at the, at the blow-off valves and me lifting, and splattering at the blow-off valves and me lifting and just kind of going, <laughs> and that and that was yeah that was two weeks in the car's life and then it ended up road racing at optima and uh, i always thought i built the car to do 200 miles an hour it has a really 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 neat floor pan in it it has some very aero designed correctly proportions to it and it has enough horsepower to push past 200 miles an hour and we were at optima I was in fourth gear shifting to fifth, and it's a six-speed transmission. 
and the nose drops probably an inch and a half because that's how much horsepower it has and how much torque it's pulling. And it was at 150 miles an hour when I let off because I was like, I, I am not that stupid. I just have to. <laughs> I've already proven my point by being at Optima and they've got all the cameras on the car. I just got to calm down. <laughs> so what does it sound like with the, um, uh, the charge tube coming through the top of the roof back to the engine. What does it sound like when that thing's coming up on boost? Do you hear anything in that too? My favorite thing about you guys is that you've researched my stuff. It's so fun to talk to guys <laughs> that know what you're talking about. <laughs> it is the coolest sounding car you're ever, ever going to ride in. So what it you... does, it has two two turbos in the rear. And for whatever reason, the blow-off valves in the rear they don't discharge at the same time, and that that tube inside the car goes from at the back where the turbos are. They go into a three-inch tube that then goes through an intercooler, a watered-air intercooler. That three-inch tube becomes three-and-a-half inches, then it becomes four inches, and then it grows to four-and-a-half inches before it gets to the throttle body. So it's this unbelievable echo chamber, and it's definitely like it's right by the passenger's head. And when it discharges off the waste gates at the back, so there's two of them, sorry, I said blow-off valve, the blow-off valves at the front, the two waste gates come off at different times for some reason. So you'll be in first gear, and you just sort of breathe in the throttle, and it'll blow boost, blow tires. So you quickly hit second gear. And in second gear, it starts to lock down the tires, and then all of a sudden you'll hear this amazing sort of just loud loud boost noise just going right by your heads as soon as you click from second gear to third gear you hear the of they're synchronized but at different times and i don't know how that happened um the wastegates in the back sort of come apart and then the blow off goes at a different time so it's this whole orchestra of music in the car and then all you want to do is hear that again because it was so freaking cool that you're popping on the gear and you're <laughs> popping on the gear. And uh, when we were hot August nights in Reno, I, you guys know that I don't make shit up, but swear to God we were street racing that car when we made the Barrett-Jackson Cup and we had to come home. <laughs> I, I had Mike Curtis builds all my billet stuff in the passenger seat. We are going to light to light racing in Reno at hot August nights. <laughs> wait, wait, we shouldn't say it. We should say you were engaging in a display of performance. Yes. For educational there, purposes. There it is. And it wasn't in a Mustang, so it was safe. <laughs> <laughs> All the, everybody on the sidewalk lived. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no crowd missiles. Nice. <laughs> You know, because you know what's going on in the hood. You kind of hear what's going on. But that thing's zinging right past your head like a torpedo tube. Yeah. And I always kind of wondered, what does that sound does that thing make when it hits? It's it's cool to know, yeah. Yeah. So every time you chop the throttle for a gear, then the waste or the blow-off valve just goes, and then, (laughs) you know, you're grabbing another gear. No matter how fast you do that, it it still lets out its signal. And then the waste gates, you can actually, in that car, you can hear them flutter. Like a bad, you know how a valve or valve floating sounds in, a, mm-hmm. in an engine? Mm-hmm. Well, both those wastegates, for whatever reason, I've got slack springs in them. 
and they just sort of dance around. And all this, just, you just hear that coming by your head, and you're like, this is awesome. You guys want to take that car for a drive right now. So, is, I mean, can you hold a conversation in the car, or is it super loud in the car? Super, super quiet till you're under boost. Oh, How cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm I sorry, have, honey. I can't hear you. Whoop. Yeah. Last week, I had a Formula One champion in it, uh, Jacques Villeneuve, Canadian for Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. And uh, he was just like, I do not need to be impressed. Just um, <laughs> I've ridden fast cars before. And I was just like, Jacques, don't worry. I'm not going to hurt either of us. And I, and I basically gave him the half fun version of the car. And he was like, okay, okay, I've had enough. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he wussed out on you. Nice. Well, what I'd like you to do, though, is relive. If you could redo all of those sound effects one more time, because I'm going to cut this apart and make ringtones out of this episode. Six <laughs> times so we can experience each gear. <laughs> You're way too much fun, man. And to think, I told you before we went on the air that this is going to be a lot like Oprah. So Yeah, except we're not <laughs> giving away crying. cars. <laughs> no free no free cars, sorry. I'm a brand new Prius. <laughs> a brand new Nissan oh. Leaf. <laughs> Ooh, gonna go for the good looking electric car. Oh huh? yeah, the one that looks like a Plicostomus. <laughs> what is that? What does that mean? A fi- that's what those fish that suck to the side of the tank and eat algae. <laughs> the Plicostomus. <laughs> You learn something new every day here. That's right. Here you go. That's right. A little bit of aqua terms there. Plecostomus. <laughs> Did I get it right? I like yes. That. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you've seen them. Those are the ones that just, their, their life in their fish tank is just to be stuck to the side. I mean, you know, everybody else gets to swim around. You're just stuck to the side. <laughs> Sounds like me when I was on the school bus as a kid. <laughs> What's going on, fellas? I don't know. I'm stuck here. This place sucks. <laughs> Thank goodness that bus only holds 12 people, so it wasn't. That means you got room for 11 close friends. <laughs> Just all of us are helmets banging off each other as we went over bumps. It was fun. Yeah, the mop bucket's sliding forward and back in the bus as we're going around turns. <laughs> When I went when I went to Columbus for uh, Street Machine of the Year, I actually took a helmet. I was the only guy in Street Machine of the Year competition that wore a helmet, and I found <laughs> the the Lego Man helmet, the cop guy. Helmet. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> and I did the whole autocross looking like Lego Man cop guy. Nice. <laughs> That'd be perfect for like 24 hours of lemons, too. He was really dedicated to it, though. He uh, he damaged his liver for the week leading up to it. it had a good yellow hue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I had traded for car parts, though, I think I would. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you guys want to know about? Oh my gosh! Well, um, wait. There's what more? did you eat for lunch? <laughs> what did I eat for lunch? I think grilled cheese. 
I'm not going to spoil it. We'll just, we'll put a teaser in here and just say that what you and I have on the drawing board is, uh, is going to be a game changer to say the least. <laughs> the new one, you mean? Oh yeah. Oh, the, the one, the one you're finishing is a great car too. That, that's yeah. got some real game changing capacity to it. That we've got work working together that's going to appear this year. And I, and I believe it is so still, it's, it's like Farrah Fawcett. A cute smile and big boobs always looks good. <laughs> exactly. So, Nobody's arguing with that. Interesting. Timeless. So we're just kind of bringing something that, yeah, that's just, it's not, it's not a reinvention. It is just something. Well, maybe it's a reinvention of something that is, is kind of classic. And I love I it. Think, I really do. I, I think what it is is, we didn't reinvent the whole big boobs concept. I, I think what no. what's going on with this car is it, it's got the most wonderful pair of pasties on those <laughs> boobs. <laughs> You're right. It's not sure Why are Dagmars coming to mind? Oh, this is better. This. Uh, yeah, let's just leave it at that. Let's just say this one is cool. But I am I'm racing through stuff that's on my plate because I cannot wait to get back on the thing that we're gonna do after this. <laughs> oh my! I, yes, you're not going to tip us off to this, are you? No. no I no. giggle about this car because it is in my list. I've, I've I've been fortunate to work on a bunch of cool cars. Whenever JF and I put our heads together, it becomes something a little more over the top. And a little more fun, even like when we did, um, when when you and I got together and we did the the paint work for Andiamo. Oh, I love that! I love that, and you, you know, you know the backstory to that, right? Oh yeah, we should share that here. These guys, these guys need to hear that. Yeah, my client wanted the car called Andiamo. I said it's an Acadian. So, for everybody that's listening that that doesn't quite know what that means. <laughs> In Canada, when we got a Chevy 2, we had a choice to buy a Chevrolet Chevy 2 Nova, or we could buy a Pontiac Acadian. It was essentially the identical car. The Pontiac, though, got like a Pontiac dashboard, uh, a gauge cluster. It got a cast iron or cast aluminum grill, like so a really heavy, more luxurious grill, and these cast taillights. So it was just a little bit fancier Chevy 2. It was still, I think some of them are still labeled as a Chevy 2 if you didn't buy them with the what we call the Canzo package. And instead of having an SS car, we had a Sport Deluxe car. So if you got a Canzo Sport Deluxe Acadian bucket seat console car, you got a super, super rare car in Canada, right? So we're working on this car that my client sort of um, was excited about. And I said, I really want a cool name for it, and it's got to start with an A. And this is where you get to participate. You get to participate in color choices, wheel choices, stance. You don't have a say in it, but I'm going to pick that. And, and then, <laughs> and, and then, so they're like, let's call it Andiamo. I'm like, what the hell does Andiamo mean? Well, it means let's go in Italian. I'm like, oh boy, who's going to figure that out? <laughs> so. I called Brian and I'm like, hey, here's where I'm stuck. I got this pretty cool car, really great customer. 
and we struck a deal while we were drinking because that's what we do in Canada when it's cold. He, 13 months out of the year. He gets to name the car if I get my striping on it because he's like, I don't want any striping on my car. I'm like, okay, Brian, here's a tough one. <laughs> we got to sell the guy on the striping by using the name. Holy cow. What do you think of that one, Brian? I loved it. Because it was that challenge again. It was trying to figure out something typographic without falling into that weird, you know, kind of like that Mopar thing where you put like a 340 on the hood or something goofy. And it was so hard to kind of stick with the fact that the car was super classy. You know, it's kind of, it's a gentleman's hot rod, for lack of a better oh. word. And, you know, like when we did the gauges and everything like that for that car, you and I were throwing those ideas. And you... You really reeled me back because I was going all pro touring. I was like, oh, we're going to do this and this. And you go, no, 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 no. It's got to be a little more refined and classy. So I think I had a pretty good heads up once we got into the, you know, the striping thing. And, man, you, you killed it. It looked so good. I had a really, really close friend that does all my BS, BASF paint stuff with me, Mike Kukura, that once he saw your drawings – he literally went to his little chemistry lab and showed up with, I think it was 12 or 14 different colors to do all of that. So what I think he's got here, and I'm like, I think that was a fucking paint error, like a pencil error. And he's like, no, I think we're going to do this and this. And he, <laughs> hey, there are no pencil errors in my art. <laughs> all of my boogers are placed there, per, you know. Right? Uh, and purposefully. <laughs> perspective. It's, uh... I had to just stand back and let your art and his ability to interpret it and create it into real live paint. And I just, I, I, as much as I participated in both ends of that, I was just sort of a spectator going, wow, this is unbelievable. And it took a car that would have been an average car, an above average car, beautiful, beautiful paint, beautiful wheels, great stance, some wicked body mods and without the graphics without the design aspect of the graphics the car couldn't have stepped to the next level it just couldn't have and uh i, I was so thankful to have all of that come together i'll tell you it made it classy and sort of racy at the same time if that's even possible and that was the fun because when you and i talked about that we had to have something that was like it was Italian, but not like Jersey Italian, you know. <laughs> Fake tan. <laughs> yeah, an orange flesh number four. <laughs> what do you call this color here? Oh, that's medallion gold. You're gonna love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, pinky ring, you know, pewter. That's a pretty good idea. Uh -oh. <laughs> Dinoball tan. You copyrighted all these names, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So somebody's gonna listen to this and gonna go, "Holy shit, that's a great name!" Right. I'm naming my car after that. <laughs> I do have to say though that the one we're taking to Detroit this year together, you and I, it has a really classy lingerie feel to it. And really, if if, if we're gonna just give people something to look forward to and and uh, maybe participate in it live like like we just did in some of these things. 
I I hope they do it, this. And I gotta say that this car isn't subtle by any stretch. You're gonna well, know that it's it, it is definitely the sexy librarian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's got a wild streak. Um, yeah, she's gonna get fired as a librarian. <laughs> she won't last long at that job title. No. Um, what was the very first car you have a memory of riding in? Way. That's a tough one, and I and I and I. It, I, I'm going to say it's an oddball. Well, maybe not that oddball, but I think it was like a 70, 71 Duster that my, my dad had. And, cool. and you guys are going to think like, ooh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> well, it was his winter car because he had a <laughs> Camaro that was all jacked up. He had built my, – my dad's a really, really talented um, fabricator when it comes to fiberglass, and he was doing – obscenely profound body work or body kits for 81 or 80s early 80s late 70s camaros firebirds corvettes and uh so he had this very we lived back east at the time so snowy country and he had he had bought this total beater 71 duster at the time because it was probably 1979 and it was an eight-year-old rusty car <laughs> and so that's that's my first memory it's not like it was striking and it's like well this is an awesome car <laughs> <laughs> but, no you don't know the memories you brought back for me by saying winter car i, I don't think any of the other guys here ever had to deal with that i know what they are but i never had to yeah, so when I was in high school, I had um, I've got my my very first car is a 1951 Mercury pickup. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, so it's an old F1 pickup, but it's actually an M1, and uh, I had bought it when I was 13. So by the time I was 16, I couldn't quite drive it because it was all in a million pieces, and uh, right, and uh, so I bought get this, I bought a '68. Firebird, beautiful black rust-free car, white interior, and it had the PMD overhead cam six-cylinder and a two-speed power glide. But I bought that for thirty-two hundred dollars as a winter beater oh, <laughs> because, because I didn't. Oh yeah, it's bad. Hey, I'm driving that thing around in the salt because it had skinny tires and not enough power to spin the tires, and that was my way to get around. Bad, bad, bad. Holy mo! You and I were at the opposite ends of the spectrum. You're out there picking up this rust-free Firebird. My entire like, all I looked for in a winter car was, did it have just enough structural you know, stability to make it through four months? <laughs> and a good heater. And did the heater work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else was secondary. It was like you know. I had cars that would drop the rear bumpers, you know, two weeks into winter. That's awesome. <laughs> I remember leaving a rear bumper behind one time. I hit a bump, and I knew it. it was going off. I was like, well, there it goes. And I had to think in my head. I was like, oh, no, we're fine because the license plate's bolted to the car. We're good. I can stay. <laughs> <laughs> it's still on the trunk lid. Let's rock. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I always wondered what the guy in the plow about six cars behind me thought when he finally hit that thing. <laughs> How about when it shoots out of the plow straight out the side? It'd be like a oh. torpedo. I would think about 400 just... yards into somebody's backyard. I heard that sucker fall. We could hear it. It kind of let. You could hear it drag. And I was like, oh, there, there it goes. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and it tumbled. A couple cars, like, slid off to the side and <laughs> make it away from it. But, Brian, tell wow. these guys, driving cars in the snow teaches you that you always want to drive cars kind of loosely out of control. Doesn't it? Oh, it oh, lets yeah. you... Oh. And it's so hard when you get done with, especially a really good winter, we've had a lot of freezing and thawing going on. So you get tons of ice. And at first it's annoying because you're going from, you know, your summertime driving. You're like, oh, shit, now i got to stop 35 car lengths early. <laughs> and by the end of that whole winter time, all you want to do is go sideways every chance you get. <laughs> and yep. exactly. it became a thing where I would, oh, God, the place I was living at my last winter up in the Northeast, it had the greatest series of like slight rolling curves leading to that, you know, the place I was living at. So I would pray for the nights when it would be just greasy enough. And I don't think I ever kept that car in a straight line. It was just like drifting through these curves the whole way home. <laughs> I used to love yeah, that. Like drifting, drifting wasn't even a word, but we were doing it steady. Well, oh, see, I lived in Massachusetts for a couple of years. And uh, I mean, you know, and this was 90 through 92. And that's what we did. I mean, everywhere you went, you were sideways intentionally. Ooh. And nobody looked at you strange because almost everybody our age did it. And then the kids show up with drifting. It's like, right? we've been doing this for years. This isn't cool. <laughs> Your dad literally takes you to a parking lot and says, okay, it just snowed. Let's teach you some winter driving skills. Don't have time. It wasn't meant to be fun. It was meant to survive. Yeah, steer oh, through. I remember my dad doing yeah. that. We'd be driving through the lot, and he'd get to a spot where he had no poles. You know, we were smart enough to do that. And all of a sudden, <laughs> from the passenger seat, somebody just grabs the wheel and jerks it hard right. <laughs> and now you've got the car. You know, going into the spin, and you learn really quick how to feather the gas, and you're you're you're, working, you're steering into it, and you get so good at it at some point, though. You just know everything that car is going to do, no matter what happens, and there's never a panic thing. I, I don't think if you grew up in that, the minute a car starts to slide, like out here, people go crazy the minute it rains, and the cars slide <laughs> off the road and everything. Pile you up. hit anything, the car starts to slide. It's just second nature. You're like, yeah, whatever. I don't even think your your heart rate goes up. You're just going to a little turn into it, whatever. A little bit of break here. We're good. Still got the cigarette in your mouth, and it's it's burning your eyes. The smoke's burning your eyes. You don't even don't even flinch. You're actually <laughs> you're hitting the um. What's that on the cassette player when it goes to the other side? The track. <laughs> Auto track, yes. <laughs> Pushing the fast forward button. <laughs> looking for song. looking for a fresh cigarette. You're, not even gonna, you're holding that Tim Hortons between your legs. <laughs> oh, I I don't can tell you how many skids I pulled out of you know by switching switching my coffee to the other hand. Like, <laughs> other hand use this arm. <laughs> I don't know what we learned, but it was pretty funny stuff. 
Oh, we, oh, we learned more than enough about, again, the, the, the spirit of hot rodding and building a car. And I think we got that right on this end of the world, or whatever, wherever little corner we're hiding in. Yeah. Well, I had no idea the backstory behind uh, behind the Riv, so that was super cool to hear that. I seriously, the next project I don't think is going to Detroit. It's going to seam up because it is going to rock people's worlds. How many wheels does it have? Eleven D. Okay, so are you going to so use those Renault teddy bear wheels? <laughs> oh, we're going to do okay yeah, let me, let me tell you. it's not just going to have teddy bear wheels we're going to go with the entire box of animal crackers <laughs> I want to know how you're going to balance the giraffe oh you wait to see how we're doing you need that. to bring back the Aquarius wheels dude and tie those in with it I mean this is a it the whole the whole car is zoo zoo oriented. See, it's it's you get the water, you get the animals. This is this is <laughs> wow. We're actually going to call it, this one make Noah's it, Ark. Make it the shape of the Ark. There you go. There you <laughs> Noah's go. Ark. <laughs> Noah's dart done. <laughs> Noah's dart. <laughs> Noah's Zark Zark with a Z. It's Zart. See, it's ooh. <laughs> see the world's first quadruple cowl Dodge Dart project. <laughs> He's <laughs> badass. Yeah, and we're gonna balance out that giraffe wheel. The giraffe is really well endowed on our wheel. You're gonna love it. Perfect. <laughs> He's looking backward though. Put, yeah. It's the tri fan wheel. It. It's coming back. <laughs> so <laughs> looks more like a propeller. So then we all get the Who's what, what's our what's our most hated wheel? Who who's got a worst wheel? They just hate to see them. Hmm, I gotta Ooh. think about this one. I'm a Chrome Reverse guy. I hate them with the little hubcap. I can, Baby, tell, anything, spider cat. I can tell you what really bothers me. But see, I, I don't want to. I'm gonna be the bad guy. You're a jerk. But I cannot stand despoke Americans. I, those things just really. Oh, love man. straight spokes. Can't stand these spokes. There you and go. Everybody says, oh, Absolutely. they're the same thing. No, oh, they're not. They're not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do the D-spokes. I just, oh, that's the wheel that probably annoys me. Then they're going to chrome, and I hate them when they're chrome. See the like, detail difference and that you, you uh, actually have an opinion on that. I think that's great. Yeah, that would be my one wheel. Uh, Keystone yeah. Classics, never been a fan. <laughs> Ooh. Sorry. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that hurt. Wow. Brian's having a meltdown on that one. <laughs> oh, I Go ahead. Eh, whatever. Do you guys think that Keystone Classic was what Hot Wheels sort of tried to make that little bitty wheel mm-hmm. look like? I always wondered if it was that it's more of a like the Western mags. Yeah, it's hard to say, isn't it? Yeah. I love Keystone, so that was the first set of custom wheels I ever bought. Thanks a lot, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Never been a they, they every time I see one it reminds me of a fad tea. And I just like meh. But but I will say I hate anything with baby moons more. Oh, oh that's see, that's my least favorite wheel. A yeah, baby moon cap. Uh, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> my whole body just shivered. <laughs> Isn't that what I said? Chrome reverse wheels? Yeah. Oh, well, but a baby but, moon is worse. If you take a 
like a baby moon on a black wheel. And don't get me wrong, I've you know, oh, I've had cars yep. with them, but I just yuck. <laughs> You know, the wheel I hate the most is an all black wheel. I'm just not a fan of all black. I don't yeah, like I it. I support that. That's twice. <laughs> you like all black wheels? Mine aren't black, though. Mine are anthracite. <laughs> they're anthracite. Oh, they're anthracite. Yeah, yeah. European. They have a chrome cap. Yeah, I got it. I have a little chrome cap in the middle. So. And that's totally different. So that that means it's got a little brake dust on it. Yeah, yeah, BMW black. That's what when the when the neighborhood right? cat pees on it, makes it shiny. Then it's actually American black. But yeah. you know, it's guys will, will will powder coat their wheels at dull black, and it looks like a wheel that's never been washed. Right. Well, black wheels to me look like they belong on cop cars and cheap imports that the hubcaps fell off. Or stock car. You know, a race. Yeah. What you about know, your Challenger, big guy? <laughs> I know, dude. I hate those black wheels. Wife likes them. It's her car. She gets to keep them. I guess. But you're sorry, you're in a glossy black though, right? It's yeah, they a are. Black top, so yeah. Yeah. Mine are matte. <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna paint pay. them so they look like keystones. You bunch of pricks. <laughs> no, just just get some sheetrock screws <laughs> and bolt a baby moon cap to them. <laughs> baby moons on. <laughs> I know what I'm gonna Photoshop next. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Skinny little keystones on the front, baby moon nice. on the back. It's gonna look beautiful. The only there way you can pop that is by. Oh, you guys! It's so funny. I was gonna make a, a joke, but I was gonna say with a Canadian tire white wall. <laughs> you guys don't have. <laughs> yeah, we don't have uh, Canadian no. Tire is a wonderful store, though. And if they would like to sponsor our podcast, that would be delightful. <laughs> are, are they like affiliated with our major tire store, America's Tire? Yeah, let's go with that. The okay. white straight tire you can get. Nice. Yeah. That's what we need to we need to smooch some uh, posterior up north and say, hey, if you work for uh, Canadian Tire, Hardee's, uh, Tim Hortons. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, screw it. The, the NHL. Any Zamboni right. manufacturer, we take one of those. Moosehead. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Labatt. Yeah, Wilson. heck yeah. Now you're talking. Right, I always said that I could really, I could really get a bunch of people to show up to Monday Night Car Club to find a beer sponsor. <laughs> let's make this happen. Right? You, you. What if they came up with a banner for you that's a, like, welcome build fans? <laughs> this welcome, welcome build fans. <laughs> so, sir, I I cannot thank you enough. And are I don't think I've asked you yet. Are you going to be at the SEMA show this year? Yes. Yeah, I don't think you can skip SEMA when you're in this game. But uh, very low-key. I'm going to be a guy walking around with my backpack, talking to the people that I love, and uh, in and out kind of thing. And we oh, want so... to have you on the show at the SEMA show on the floor, man. That'd be well, fun. I don't want to be. If you want to lay on the floor, we can do it that way too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite yeah. literal. <laughs> I know we're not part of the people you like, you know, but maybe you'll you'll lower your standards and hang out with us for another hour. He's in love, so you know. Uh-oh. Okay, okay well, here's what I want to do then. Great we fun. are going to take a quick walk through the wheel pavilion together at the SEMA show and look for baby moon caps. 
pick the ugliest wheel and meet Let's back in the center in 45 minutes. <laughs> well, awesome, man. Thank you so much for your evening. Yes, thank you guys. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, that was a lot thank of fun. You, sir. Bunch of great laughs. Yeah, it was super enjoyable. We'll let you. We'll let you get off. Are you are you suffering from the uh, the dreaded shit house polio yet? Or <laughs> stand up. <laughs> Hear a crash. <laughs> Hopefully, the bathroom's long ways away from me. Finished cars. Uh, well, yeah. cool, man. I'm looking forward to. Well, I'll be talking to you again later this week. I think by SEMA we're going to have to reveal the mullet mobile to these guys. Oh, we're going to have to. <laughs> and now we know it's Camaro. Yeah. As long as you know, tell you what. How about okay? Can we have the exclusive on that one on the website? We can have the uh, the exclusive sneak peek of a mullet mobile. For sure, for sure, for sure. You do whatever you got to do with that thing. It's going to be great. <laughs> So how the hell do you wrap up this? Um, yeah, I guess we just go back to the old classic, the end. Yeah. <laughs> see, see you guys at SEMA, and uh, we'll discuss this new reveal, I think. You guys have been great. Absolutely and great. likewise. You as well. Thank you very much. So uh, Thank you. Looking forward to that little visit in SEMA. Mm-hmm. Likewise. Um, we'll make that fun. JF, a pleasure to have you on, sir. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you very Enjoy much. your evening, and uh, man, we'll talk with you soon. Yep. Got a few more stories to tell, for sure. Oh, right <laughs> on. I'm so there. <laughs> Cheers. All right. Have a good one, man. See you, Thanks, JF. Bye-bye. Huge thanks again to, uh, to our guest, JF, for taking time to share stories and insight, and again, his passion for this whole thing. Uh, and thank you guys for uh, playing along as you usually do every week. Um, that all said, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, I'm still Brian. I'm still Brad. Still Alex. I'm still Eric. Still JF. <laughs> still here. Still there. <laughs> all time. right. See you. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, and be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on YouTube.com. Although I do have to say, the thing I do love most about your people, besides the fact that you're all living friendly, is your ballet is wonderful. Well, when I lived in uh, I lived in Buffalo, the big thing was when you became 19, you could go over the border and drink. Mm, yes. And naturally, right across the border, you went into Fort Erie, Ontario. Yeah. Fort Erie, it seems that their number one export was uh, strip clubs. Get a little sideways on that. Yes. My favorite thing that I ever heard when you go across the Peace Bridge into Canada, they'd always say, so where are you gentlemen headed tonight? Oh, we're going up to uh, Fort Erie. Oh, going to the Canadian Ballet. Have a great night. 
<laughs> Canadian favorites when you're in the U.S. and they're like, no, they don't take their underwear off. And as a Canadian, you're like, what do you mean they don't take their underwear off? <laughs> <laughs> 